Well, good morning. Welcome to Kesset. How's everybody? Merry Christmas to you. If you are new, my name is Danny and I'm one of the pastors here. I'm really excited that you are here. Uh, this is a busy holiday week for everybody, so I just want to kind of let you know what's going on. Uh, this, we're, we're still in From Now to Forever in this series, so I'm going to dive into it in just a moment. This Thursday evening is our Christmas Eve Eve service, and we do that because we, uh, our staff, some of our staff, including uh, my family, celebrate uh, a portion of their Christmas on Christmas Eve, so we've always just kind of committed to, to, to giving that back to them. So Christmas Eve and Christmas Day, nothing, and then Sunday morning... 9 and 11 is a different service than Thursday, which was Christmas Eve, and I'll be there. We're going to have donuts and coffee for everybody, and it's going to be like just an after Christmas, so just come pajamas or or whatever you need to do. No makeup. It's not the prettiest service, but it'll be fun. It'll be... It'll be, it'll be fun, uh, but, uh, but I'll be there that, I'll be there with you guys uh, Christmas morning, so uh, come check it out, so we're, we're excited, it should be, it should be fun. Um, we, as I said, are in this series right now, From Now to Forever, and uh, the whole idea that we're talking about is this, is, this, uh, is this concept of creating moments and sitting in moments in our lives that, that last really beyond just that experience, moments that last from now to forever, and how valuable those moments are. So I want to tell you a story that, uh, that I think highlights not only what I want to talk about today, but also a moment that I've never forgotten in all my years of ministry. I have been doing this job right here for about 23 years full-time vocationally. Uh, I was uh, 20, 21 when I started uh, in ministry full-time, and uh, I got some pretty good traction at about year six, seven with uh, kind of the youth pastoring that I was doing. And we ended up with uh, three midweek services, combined total of about a thousand youth kids that were in this youth church that we started. And it was beautiful and it was powerful. And it was also kind of scary. I remember one time uh, we started to have this huge influx of growth from like 600 kids to 700, 750, 800, all in like, like six weeks. We couldn't figure out what was going on until we realized that this youth group that we had created started preaching that you could be who you are and become somebody different with God in your life. And so it was this sort of acceptance theme that started bringing all these students that found great connection to that story. And it started bringing all these students that found great connection to that story and all of their problems into our youth group. So much so that we started having uh, incredible drug sales during the youth ministry service. And we had like all these, like 15, 20 kids would come from Portland, be a part of the service, like worship and everything. And then afterwards they'd be like, you want some of this or you a little bit of that? And it was just the most unique situation ever. So I met with one of the kids, one of the kids that like had a crew in our youth group. And I said, man, listen, I watched you during service and it seems like, like you're worshiping and you engage in the whole service. You don't even leave early. And he's like, no, man, I love it. I love it. I'm accepted here. I'm loved just as I am. I, this God story, I've never heard that in my life. And I'm like, this is amazing. I'm going to get him. And I'm like, and you know drugs, right? Like, like those hurt people. And he's like, yeah, man, I know, I know. And I'm like, so maybe you shouldn't sell them here. And he goes, yeah, I'm just not there with you, man. Not yet, not yet. Maybe eventually, but not yet. So I didn't want to tell him, well, then you can't come because like I'm a legit youth pastor. That's not how that works. So I sat back and I was like, all right, I'll figure out a way to, to, to let you stay, but make sure your drugs go. So I walked on stage the next week and I said, man, I'm so excited you guys are here. Everybody, I'm so excited that you're here. Today, I'm going to preach to you about surprises. 
how much God loves surprises. Sometimes you need surprises to shock your system. Sometimes you need surprises to highlight things in your life maybe you shouldn't be doing. Sometimes you need surprises to remember how powerful God is. So today, as a surprise, I'd like to invite Officer So-and-So and and his drug-sniffing dog out. And I had the biggest policeman I could find and the biggest German shepherd walk out on stage. And I said, this is Officer So-and-So and and his drug-sniffing dog, Max. And next week, we're going to let Max visit everybody in the church. Let's get an amen. And it was quiet. Just quiet. And I'm like, an amen. Nothing. And I said, yeah, surprise. This, it, this illustration to me has always been a beautiful one around this idea that everybody wants to transform. Nobody, especially teenagers, want to be where they are. They know they're here. They know they're, they're moving from this place to the next Young adults as well. They're moving from this process to the next, but very few people actually want to do it the right way. They don't want to give up the stuff they're dealing with. They just want to be something different. As Christians, we highlight this all the time. It's most of the testimonies we actually hear on stage when it comes to overcoming. It's, this is, this is Bill, and Bill used to be this. And then one day, Bill prayed, or Bill got baptized, or Bill found Jesus, and boom, everything in Bill's life got better. And 98% of the people in the audience are like, well, then I guess I don't know Jesus. Because when I met Jesus, my life just got harder. We love these stories because they're attractive. But the story of that teenager who was like, I love God and I'm accepted here and I'm part of this thing. And then I'm like, then you got to give up your drug selling. And he's like, yeah, not yet, not yet. That's a much more truthful an honest kind of process to his transformation. That young man stayed, by the way. He disappeared for a few weeks, but then he came back. He stayed around for quite a few years after that. And we used to tell that story all the time. I never did release the dog, by the way, for those of you who were interested. I had him the next week just roaming around, but I, <laughs> I figured that wouldn't be good to just have half your youth group go to jail. That's not what Jesus wants. So <laughs> my point is sometimes we don't give ourselves space to walk through the transformation kind of uh, in process. We don't give ourselves space to walk through the transformation in transitional kind of ways where we give up little things at a time. So I just want to say this before I dive in. Have a little grace for yourself. Have a little grace for yourself where you are right now. The things that you know God's trying to pry from, from your hands, he'll get them. And he knows he's stronger than you and he can pull them. So if he hasn't yanked those things from you yet, maybe know that, and we're going we're gonna to look at this, maybe, maybe he's wrestling with you a little bit. Maybe there's some tons to learn in, in the lessons. Here's the other thing that's really important. If you don't learn to have grace for yourself, if I don't learn to have grace for myself in the things in my life that after all these years of all this ministry that I still wrestle with, then I am absolutely not gonna have grace for other people. When they, especially when they're wrestling with things that don't relate to me, things that I've overcome really quick, or worse yet, things I've just never struggled with. And I'm like, man, I don't understand your issue with that. You should just... Get rid of that. You should pray that away. You should baptize that away. You should know Jesus that away. And that's why Christians sometimes seem hypocritical because they don't have any grace for themselves and where they're at in their own story. And therefore they don't have grace for anybody else. I believe transformation is a transitional kind of outworking of God's spirit. And that today is what we're going to talk about because once you understand that, then suddenly you can create some really powerful moments that last from now to forever. Amen? This uh, idea that people can transform is one of the most attractive and life-giving parts of the Bible. This is really the gospel. There's two verses I love that highlight that. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, 
And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, listen to this phrasing, are being transformed. We're being transformed. There's that, there's that, that process. Into the same image from one degree of glory to another, for this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. We are being transformed. So have some grace for you when you uh, slip and fall. Romans 12, 2 goes on to say, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is the good and acceptable and perfect. Again, this is the gospel. This is why recovery ministries are so important. Because recovery ministries are places where people can go in the midst of their transitional transformation and meet other people along the way. There's help there. There's guides there. We have one of those. If you're interested, you can get information in the back. It's on the website and the app. We have one of those. If you're like, you know, I think I need to get some guides. I haven't had enough grace for myself. I think I need some help. That's what those sorts of things are about. Now, if the Bible is going to teach that transformation is important, then it would make sense that it would be packed full of people being called into the transformational process. People like Zacchaeus, the tax collector. Zacchaeus was uh, a very shrewd businessman. And he was the tax collector of tax collectors. If you had Pharisee of Pharisees, Zacchaeus was that guy, but just with taxes. But Zacchaeus also had a heart for something more. He probably had achieved everything in his life that he ever wanted. And suddenly he heard about Jesus who offered this new way of being. Zacchaeus felt like, like this yearning for transformation. And so he decided that he wanted to see this Jesus with his own eye, but he was a man of short stature. And so Zacchaeus humbled himself and climbed up into a tree like a child, exposing to everybody the fact that he had some needs. And then suddenly Jesus does what Jesus always does when we humble ourselves and climb up into a tree. He showed up under Zacchaeus' tree, pointed him out to the whole crowd. How embarrassing is that? Zacchaeus, yes, Jesus, we're going to go to your house for dinner. Come on down. Everybody watch. <laughs> you don't think about that, right? You don't think of like Zacchaeus having to huff his way down as, you know, a 50-year-old guy, 4'10", and trying to climb down the, the tree, slide down the thing. You don't know. And then he led him all the way to, to see Jesus. I love that. Let me say this. Some of you, the reason you haven't seen Jesus with your eyes is because you aren't willing to humble yourself and climb into a tree. You just got too much pride. You know your issues, you know your stuff, but you also know if you climb into that tree and actually expose yourself, Jesus is going to stop. Oh, hey, let's go to your house for dinner. Let's do community with, your, with you, with you, with you. And that's some embarrassing stuff. And so you just stay down in the crowd missing everything that's transformational about Jesus' passing. How about this one, the woman taken in adultery? Jesus is teaching, and the whole time he's teaching, the people who are his kind of peers in the religious system, the Pharisees and Sadducees, the rulers of the spiritual law, they're trying to trick him. And so Jesus teaches mercy and love and grace. And these people bring a woman who's clearly broken the law. She has been caught, physically caught in the act of adultery. And they throw her physically down at Jesus's feet in the sand. And they say, Jesus, we caught someone. They say, Jesus, we know that you're all about mercy and love, but you're also about following the law. This woman, well, she deserves to be stoned according to the religious law that you uphold. Says Jesus gets up and writes in the sand and suddenly they all look around. And then he says, he who is without sin, go ahead, cast that first stone. And the crowd disperse. 
I've always wondered in this story, where was the man that was caught in adultery? Like, where was he at? And I've also wondered because of the way that the crowd disperses and because we don't really know what was written in the sand, if maybe what Jesus wrote in the sand was the name of the man. And Jesus was like, Greg. <laughs> and Greg's with his buddies, like looking at her, like disgusted. And then he's like, yeah, we're good guys. We're okay. Let's, I'm good. I'm good. It's, it's not that big a deal. Like, I, I don't know. We don't know. What we know is that we love, especially we who get good at church, to pull other people who are in their transition, who are less evolved spiritually than we are, to the feet of Jesus and be like, Jesus, like, I mean, have you seen how these people voted? I mean, they can't be Christians and go to our church, right? Jesus, I mean, have you seen what these people believe about this or that or this? I think sometimes we need to just imagine Jesus spiritually this time writing on our heart, the Bible says, whatever it is you're dealing with, because it just changes your whole perspective on this idea of transitioning and transformation. Scripture's littered with these kinds of stories. Over and over, we see this transformational invitation, inviting people into the process, but we don't as often see the actual transformation take place. We don't really know if it's stuck with Zacchaeus. We don't really know if it's stuck with the woman who was thrown at his feet. And I think there's a reason for that. I think that's because true transformation occurs in those small trans transitional increments. It occurs over time as these people accept the invitation of Jesus. God calls us to walk out a transforming process every day of our lives, to put off our old self, it says in Ephesians, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. And anybody knows anything about putting on stuff and taking on stuff is it, it comes and it goes. Uh, the, the weather changes, the, the level of, of, of warmth or, or uh, you know, disrobing that you need changes. You have to bathe, you have to, you, there's a whole life that lives inside putting on things and taking off things. And yet for some reason we as Christians are like, what? Go to youth camp, become a Christian at 11. Boom, I got that spiritual shirt. And then we just grow into adults and we rock around wearing these little tiny spiritual youth camp shirts thinking it covers everything. And we're like, bro, listen, like you're a jerk. I'm not a jerk. I accepted Christ at 14, changed my life. Have you read the Bible since then? Are you in a small group? Do you do any community? No, man. Like that was amazing. And I'm like, your shirt is so tiny. Take it off. Put on the new self. The new 40-year-old self, deal with 40-year-old versions. And then once you've dealt with that version of you, guess what? 45-year-old's coming. Transforming happens in these transitional increments. It's like a child learning to walk. It's messy and often results in different slips and falls along the way. They crawl and then they stumble around and then they balance themselves and then they fall again. And then one day they're walking and then they're running and then they're jumping. And this is how spiritual life is supposed to happen. This is the transitional messy space between being as you were, your old self, and the person you are becoming or transforming into your new self. And it is absolutely unavoidable. I don't care if you even disagree with this part of the sermon. You're wrong in Jesus' name. You're wrong. And I love that we can, this, listen, Kesset is a house of conversation. We can have tension. But the only way you could, be, you could be right is to say that you've arrived at the ultimate version of yourself sitting in the chair right now. You're it. Let's hope you're not right, because some of you are punks. 
Let's hope you're not right. And some of you are less punky, but you know deep down inside that you got stuff you got to work on. So it has to happen in increments. It has to. This is the beauty of what it means to walk daily with our God, to have relationship, even to have fights with him, to have disagreements with him, to praise him, to be bothered by him. This is what it means to have relationship with him. There's one story for me more than any other that jumps out as probably the clearest example of a man willing to sit in this space. One where the individual is aware for years that he really needs to change his ways, but doesn't do it well. He's probably my favorite scoundrel in the Bible, and his name is Jacob. To know Jacob's story is to know his life was one of never-ending struggles. He was an incredibly determined man, and also rather ruthless. He was a con artist, a liar, and a manipulator. In fact, the name Jacob not only means deceiver, but more literally, it means grabber. You do not want to leave this man alone around your stuff or your people. Among all these other things, deep-seated family hostilities characterized Jacob's lives. These hostilities got so bad, so bad, that eventually his older brother drew a line and said, the next time I see you, I'm going to kill you. And they went separate ways. Despite all of that, all that truth, God still promised that Jacob would be the man that through him would come a great nation, the people of Israel. I want to say a quick side note about God and Jacob, that this is not unique to Jacob, the fact that God wanted to use this man who was this way. This is just the way of God. Scripture proclaims over and over that God uses people to accomplish his will, that we are his hands and his feet, that we are part of his movement, that he is the great church planter, that he is the great preacher, that this whole thing is his, and we are simply stewarding our 40 minutes together with all of his guidance at hand. But... It also says that we need to take the job he's asked us to do serious because God will use people like us to accomplish these incredible things, even people like me and like you that live incredibly messy lives. 1 Corinthians 1, 27, but God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. This is, I think, one reason why Kesed is is unique We are not the most profound church in town. We are not the most clever or creative or anything else church in town. But I think one thing that we are, uh, that I believe wholeheartedly is we are a church that really gives a lot of credit to God because I think you figured it out once you get to know me, the leadership, the elders, the people who've been here a long time, there really ain't nothing that special about us. And when people actually dive in, it's actually a little, it, it took me a while to get used to this, but people will be like, so tell me this. And I'm like, eh. And they're like, well then tell me this. Mm. Well, what, I mean, like this building, they're like, man, how'd you guys get this building? Like, what was your strategy? And I was like, oh, we rented it for baptism. And they're like, oh, okay. And then what? And I was like, and then one of the elders asked to see me and I thought he wanted his, his rent payment. And then he said, do you want the building? And I was like, okay. (laughs) And people are like, that's not super romantic. That's not, that's not that sexy. And I'm like, it's a whole lot of God. It's a whole lot of God. When God just does what he does and you're a part of it, you don't get to have any credit. It doesn't need to to blow up me or the leadership or, and of course we prayed and of course we had saved and of course we did all the things that we hoped God would bless. But the reality is it's only God that gives away buildings, only God. 
And that's a beautiful thing. It's only God that transforms lives and hearts and marriages and stories and frees people from addictions. It's only God. It's always only ever been God. But when you start thinking, oh, listen, do me a favor. This is a side note. Don't tell people about Kesed. Tell people about God. Tell people about God. Tell them what he's doing. Invite them into your life and your story and you have coffee with them. And if somewhere along the way, they're like, do you go to church? Then you can tell them, yeah, come check it out. It's okay. Don't make it about this. Don't brand us. Don't brand yourself. Just let it be about him and whatever he does. Because here's the thing. We're going to give all of this away to the next generation. And it's really hard to give away something you own, something you've built, something you've branded. But it is super easy to to give away something that's not yours in the first place. Super easy. It's not mine. You want it? This is how the gospel has moved forward. And it's, it's anti-world, right? The world doesn't understand it, which makes it even more about God. That's what this is all about. That's what you are a part of right now. But for you to tell people about God, you first have to spend time with God and how he connects with you. And that's what you're about to learn inside the story of Jacob. Jacob knows all these promises. He knows that it's all about God. And yet he is still a man full of fears and anxiety. At a pivotal point in his life, when Jacob was unable to avoid meeting his brother Esau, who had finally found him with 400 men, something very messy happens. The first thing that happens is Jacob's old self roars to life. He thinks, maybe I can get out of this. And so very anxious for his life, Jacob concocts a bribe and he pulls his wife and children and everything of value and he goes, run towards those dangerous people. True story. And his wife's like, what? And she's like, he said, just run towards them. Like, chances are they won't hurt you, right? I mean, I don't know, but I know this. I can't get hurt, so you gotta go. So he sends his wife and family and everybody across the river to meet, to meet his brother Esau, who's on his way, he thinks, to kill him. If anything, Esau has to go through all the people. Jacob had a lot of people, probably four or 500 people. He has to make sure Jacob's not among them. So he's got time, at least, to think about what to do next. But at the very best, it's going to soften Esau's heart because he's going to meet his wife and his nieces and his nephews. And he's going to be like, oh, maybe I shouldn't kill my brother, who's a horrible person. Either way, it's not a very fun move. But then something else happens. Jacob's alone that night. He's, he's stuck. There's no way out. Maybe like some people in this room right now, and you're like, man, this is not the Christmas sermon I was hoping to hear. Good. Don't leave. It'll be awkward for you. <laughs> Somebody has to pee real bad like now. It's like, oh, yep, yep. No, I'm good. <laughs> A bunch of kids needing their parents. Nope, nobody's going to children's today. Um, but here's what happens. Here's what happens, right? This, this other newer transforming self kind of starts peeking out over the mountains of Jacob's shadowy life. And he offers up this prayer. And it's so different than everything else from Jacob that it almost feels uh, like it's not from him. And yet we know that it is. This is what he says, chapter 32, verse 9. O God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac, O Lord, who said to me, return to your country and to your kindred that I may do you good. I am not worthy of the least of the deeds of the steadfast love and all the faithfulness that you have shown to your servant. For with only my staff, I crossed the Jordan. And now I have become two camps. Listen to his pleading in verse 11. Please deliver me from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him that he may come and attack me, the mothers with the children. 
But you said, he's reminding God of his promise, I will surely do you good and make your offspring as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for multitude. It's this, it's this broken yearning. It's this prayer of God. Are you who you said you would be in spite of what I'm doing? Even right now, in spite of the stuff, I, in spite of what I did a half a day earlier as I sent my family across the river, are you the God that, that I think you are? And then with all of that, he goes to sleep because it's really exhausting to get stuck. It's really exhausting to do everything you can to get out of the rut you find yourself into mentally, emotionally, financially, physically. It just gets tiring not being able to to maneuver. So he collapses. And then it says that God shows up. I just want to highlight this as well. I don't know why this particular talk is turning into a don't do this Christians talk, but I want to say something. A lot of times people highlight how God showed up in their life and it's always this really beautiful thing and never something hard like this. A lot of times people are like, and then I was praying or I was worshiping and God came to me like a whisper, like, like Elijah. And every time I hear that, I'm like, uh, Elijah was half starved, hiding in a cave after he tried to commit suicide, by the way. And before the whisper, do you know what happened? The entire mountain shook. And then God was like, not me. Clearly it was God. Then you know what happened? A giant wind came. And he thought, I'm going to get sucked out of the mouth of this cave. And God was like, nah, not me. And then the whole mountain started on fire. And God's like, mm, not me. And then the whisper comes. And then Elijah realizes all these things are God. And yet God is still gentle. That God could have blown him out of the cave, burned him out of the cave, or crushed him in the cave. But instead, the whisper comes and Elijah himself walks out of the cave. Because that's what God does. But I just want to tell you, when Christ shows up in your life, it's very often not a whisper. It's when he burns everything down. Or he shakes everything down. Or he crushes everything that's in his way to reaching you. Because that's how much he loves you. That's how much he loves you. Somebody in here just took my room over. He loves you that much. And he is crushing stuff in your life. And he is burning stuff in your life. And he is blowing stuff in your life away. And eventually you will hear that whisper. But don't get caught up in these Christians that say that's the only way God loves you. A lot of times God loves you like this. He just shows up and starts punching. Because that's exactly what happened to Jacob. This dude's sleeping exhausted, thinking, save me, Lord. And all of a sudden, God's like, hey, wake up, kick to the ribs. And then it's a straight up fight. Isn't our Lord loving and gentle and kind? Isn't he incredible? Let's read. And Jacob was left alone. And a man, who was God, wrestled with him until the breaking of day. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket, snap, and broke it. And Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, the man, let me go, for the day has broken. I love that. I love that God's like, let me go, because I'm stuck. ha <laughs> Let's see if Jacob wants to stay in it. But Jacob says, I will not let you go unless you bless me. Because Jacob is shrewd. These things that have broken him over the years have also built him into a man who knows there's a deal to be made here. And he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. And then he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. And guess what? Jacob was transformed from the top down, and yet, and yet, and yet, the limp remained. 
When you meet God, stop asking him to take away the very thing that reminds you of him every day. Stop, just stop. Just let it go. You're gonna limp. Well, not everybody limps. Yep, everybody does. But some of it, it's not hips, some it's elbows. Some it's, some it's mouths like this guy. I limp all the time. My wife reminds me all the time, don't preach. You're my husband first. You're not my pastor. And I'm like, I got a different biblical. I think we could fight that out really, but. <laughs> but, but the point is everybody has limps. Lean into them. And when you feel like you can finally escape it and stand out on your own, do what Jacob did and say, not, not me. You're not going anywhere, God. I want blessed in spite of this addiction. I want blessed in spite of this brokenness. I want blessed in spite of this, this thing that I can't get rid of. I want blessed. And then God asks your name because he wants you to realize that it's you fully integrated, being honest. Well, it's Danny, Danny who limps, Danny who talks too much, Danny with an unkind heart. And God's like, I'll take that. Doesn't mean my skills change. Doesn't mean my limp goes away. It just means that I get to be part of what he's doing. See, I believe in a beautiful, beautiful way. What if some of the most important moments in our lives aren't about us capturing anything at all, but about being captured by God instead? What if it's the greatest moment that lasts from now to forever? What if we're supposed to sit in that space, honest and true and genuine? As a church, from the very beginning, we did something called Red Envelope. And Red Envelope was kind of this way to, to remind our church to limp a little bit. We did it from, remember this, from year one when we had no funds and no building and no rent. And we decided to reach outside of ourselves and give away 100% of an offering to somebody else who was part of the kingdom to remind us that we aren't the core, that we aren't the center. We've been doing it for 12 years and the offerings have only gotten bigger and bigger and bigger and they're beautiful. And they remind us that we aren't here to generate funds or, or community for us, but for God and what he's doing. So today you're gonna hear from someone in just a moment that it has an excellent limp about her and the ministry that God has called her to experience. Watch. Transitional youth has grown tremendously over this past 12 months. It's been a year of building and a year of transformation for so many young people. Currently, Transitional Youth has five homes. The Ritz Family Ranch in Yakult, Washington, the Junction House in Vancouver, Vita's Ark for Teen Moms and Babies in Vancouver, Fortify in Wilsonville, and Harmony House in Damascus. Transitional Youth has expanded beyond what we could have ever imagined. Our young people are searching for their identity and they're finding an identity on the street, in gangs, and among traffickers. Not only are they homeless, but they've been hopeless. Transitional youth is the beginning point for many of our young people. And sometimes that just means the first glimmers of hope. Atmosphere and the people here made me feel safe and made me feel secure that this place is a wonderful place to be and that this place is peaceful. I, I remember walking into the TY house the first time and I walked in and I set my bags down and, and then I just bawled. I was doing horrible things prior to being at TY. 
once I was there, the, the, the things that were normal to me, like weren't normal anymore. It was just a whole new, a whole new existence. I would have anxiety attacks every day. I would have night terrors every night. With me being on the street, I couldn't hold a job down. I felt like that was gonna be my life, was just living on the street. When I first walked in, I felt like this was home. I felt relaxed and safe. I felt love in this place. I felt like I could actually be happy again. We have young people in our program learning how to build structures and fences and in different areas of construction, tending orchards, learning small engine repair, learning bike mechanics, barista work, taking repurposed material and creating art and jewelry, working with horses that have been rescued. Life is happening in each of our homes. We're often asked the question, how can we help? But I think the better question is, how can we love? If we love them, that means we have to be committed to them in the process of their growth. If we simply just meet the basic needs of our young people, we're only perpetuating a dependence on a system that will keep them stuck. If that's where we stop, we're robbing them of their opportunity. Faithfulness is such a crucial element to this process of our youth moving to a point where they can begin to have hope for their own lives. It's not about just serving a young person through just a month of their life. The staff and volunteers of Transitional Youth are in it for the long haul. So many of the residents that we've had are lifelong friends and family. We're all the same, all are just humans and we're facing each other and we're acknowledging our great need for one another. All you need to do is change yourself and allow yourself to be changed. Like that's a significant thing. I have the power to do that. We have young people that are in college full time, pulling 4.0 GPAs. We have young people in their own apartments, establishing their own families that never dreamed they could go to college. They've never dreamed that they could have a job that could actually pay their bills. They never dreamed that they would have a family. One of the most beautiful things to witness is to see the trajectory of our young people's lives literally change. So while the world has paused in some ways, the work that we do hasn't. Young people are still being served, they're being cared for, they're being loved, and lives are being changed. Warm Kessid welcome to Rana Mall. Rana is the executive director of Transitional Youth, and I'm just going to read this summary to us. Transitional Youth is a local Christian nonprofit that works to bring hope and healthy transformation to at-risk youth in the greater Portland, Vancouver area. Through local outreach, housing, job, and work experience, and the, through local outreach, housing, job and work experience, and their own bike repair store and coffee house, Transitional Youth seeks to present at-risk youth with opportunities that will cultivate a healthy future. Hi. Hello. This is our third service. <laughs> it is. Um, this is the 11 o'clockers, and they don't care about anything, so you can just, like, 
you can just go all the way. Right. right. I told you that over there and you go, really? And I'm like, yeah, I'm serious. You just throw stuff. It's going to be great. Um, Thank you so much for being here this whole weekend. Um, Tell us beyond the description, tell us about transitional youth and kind of how it works. Well, um, I'm just really struck by your pastor's message and just kind of living life out and not having kind of a storefront attitude about your own life, but really digging deep. And really that's what Transitional Youth does is provide opportunities for young people to come in to homes, work experiences, and just be and grow through that process. Um, They they're so used to having kind of a storefront presence, you know, being tough or calloused or afraid and being in a place where we can provide them to know that they're accepted exactly where they are and we're going to love them through it. It's what we would do with our own family and it's what these young people really need and deserve. Yeah. How long have you been with them? I've been with Transitional Youth for 10 years. Yeah. And And we've been alive for 30 years in the Vancouver, Portland area. So your story weaves into kind of the backstory of why you feel so drawn to this. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so um, I was one of these young people. People ask me all the time, what brought you here? I was one of them, and the Lord met me exactly where I was. I was born into homelessness and lived in a family car for the first seven years of my life, didn't have a home, and then my mom fought to find a home, and three years later, my dad left. He just disappeared. We never saw him again. Shortly after that, I started using drugs at about 12 and ended up on the streets at 13 myself, sleeping under a bridge just a few miles from where our coffee shop is today, Um, and then pregnant at 14. I didn't know who God was. I'd never been introduced to he was. I had no idea, and as I was literally walking down the street one day, I was high. I was homeless. And I fell, and I, as, as I fell, it was a little bit like that wrestling match, I heard the words, this baby isn't going anywhere. And I knew, I was instantly sober, instantly in my right mind, it was a miracle. I heard the Lord say, this baby isn't going in anywhere, and I said, okay, God, if that's what your voice sounds like, because I have no idea, I need help. And it was from that point forward that I had a fierce protection of this child in, inside of me, rather than having a death wish. And it was, it was shortly after that that I made a decision to follow Christ and come back to serve the kids that I was. And so this is what I've been doing. Transitional Youth in its logo has this, this penny. And I came in Thursday uh, and I noticed you uh, putting pennies on many of our seats. Tell us, yes. tell us why. I will say those pennies are priceless. I hope that you take that penny with you and never look at a penny the same way again. We use the penny as a symbol in relation to the youth that we work with. Sadly, many of us have stepped over people on the sidewalks and we step over pennies on the sidewalks. And so the penny is a reminder to us to not step over what is most precious. What we overlook, what we don't value is actually incredibly beautiful and valuable. Um, We have a coffee and bike shop on 33rd and Powell in Portland, and we've laid a penny floor. 142,000 pennies we've put on that floor. And it is a symbol to, again, the community of what is precious. What a conversation starter when people walk into the shop and say, what's this about? You told me a story about a young man that... uh that is kind of integrated into that penny story. Tell us, tell us that, tell us that again. Yeah. 
So um, I had the privilege of working um, at our drop-in center several years ago. And what that is is just a place that young people can come in for a warm meal and to dry off and new clothes. And this young man named Casper, that's his street name. Many gang members and street families will have those names. He was um, 16 years old, about six foot two and 165 pounds. Young man that his eyes are burned into my mind. Just precious young man. And I would work with him and I would cry all the way home and I would come back and work with him again. And this one particular night, he comes in out of the cold, and he sits down. He's so strung out, he can't eat. But he pulls some change out of his pocket, and he begins to separate the nickels and dimes and quarters from the pennies, puts the silver back in his pocket, and then just kind of flings the pennies across the table. And I just, I pounced on that situation. I I said, Casper, what did you do that for? That's money too. And he said, it's worthless, just like me in the doorway that I sleep in. And I lost it. And I just started to share with him, you are so valuable. You are, you are priceless. And God's put this dream on my heart to start a coffee and bike shop. And I'm going to lay a penny floor just to prove, just to show the worth, how valuable you are. And his eyes lit up. And I'd never seen emotion on him, but he lit up in that moment. And he said, Rana, I can help you lay that floor. He said, I used to lay floors with my dad when I was a little boy. And he picked up the pennies. I get choked up every time. (laughs) He picked up the pennies off the table and he literally got down on his hands and knees and started to press the pennies against the wall and the floor and took great detail to tell me everything I needed to do to lay a penny floor. And so I said, okay, Casper, I'm going to make you a promise. I'm going to open that shop and you're going to come help me lay that floor. You're going to get clean and we're going to work on this together. And we made each other a promise that day. And four years later, Casper was on that floor with me, and I hired, I hired him to help me lay that floor. He's clean. His name is Travis. Yeah. Restoration. So here in a moment, we're going to tell you how you can uh, give financially and support this uh, beautiful ministry. How, how else can we help um, other than that? There's other ways we can connect with you. Definitely. And I, I always say, what would you do with your own children? What kind of love and support would you give your own kids? And that's what I believe that our young people deserve. And so if you would come alongside them and teach them how to make a meal, if you would go on a walk with them, if you would tutor them, if you would help them with their GED or even driving lessons, we've got a young lady that has her permit and needs driving lessons. So those kinds of things, that's the kind of help we need. We have two houses here in Clark County, Vitas Ark for young mamas and babies, and the Ritz Family Ranch and Yakult for young men. Anything that your kids need, your teenagers and young adults, our kids also need. There's uh, a way they can sign up in the back at the table. Yes, we have a volunteer sign-up list. We've got flyers and packets, my business cards out there. Um, Maybe you have a trade. Maybe you love money and like to budget. Maybe you love nutrition classes. Anything like that we could use. Okay. 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 So check that out. Check that information out. You guys can, can get all that out there. Um, obviously, funds are helpful during this time Absolutely. of year, especially winter and such. <laughs> so I want to tell you guys a few different ways you can do this. One, of course, is the red envelope. If you use the red envelope and you put cash in there, 100% of it goes, 100% of any way you give goes straight to uh, this uh, ministry, this, this uh, program. Uh, also, if you end up writing checks, make sure you write them to Kessid. You can put in the, the subline there, Transitional Youth. Make sure you write the checks to Kessid so we can write her just one check 
and not hand her just a, a stack of checks. But there's a few other ways. Uh, you can go to our church app and select giving. There's a way on there. Also, a lot of our people here do uh, text to give. So if you go to Kesed Giving and put up and text in this number here, all of those funds will go to transitional youth. Um, there's kiosks in the lobby, so you can use your, uh, your card there. And then uh, the one that uh, I think is probably most fun is uh, these bags of coffee. And uh, this is from Breaking Cycles, their, uh, their coffee house. And she bought these to, to, to offer to the church to sell because they, they make uh, some profit on these. But we ended up creating a way at the table where you can actually overbuy, meaning like you can buy a bag of coffee for 20 bucks or 100 bucks or 500 bucks. And it's just a fun way to support them and also give above and beyond. Uh, for everybody watching at home, there's a link that's been dropped in uh, the chat window there, and you can give that way. Rana, we're, we've, been, we've, had, we've had a lot of fun. Yeah? We've had a lot of fun. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I've been honored that you've been here. And uh, thank, thank you for you. what you do personally. Thank you. And for who you are. Uh, you're really a living example of, of, of Jacob, of somebody who wrestled and held on to God and embraced their story. And now that story is... This, this powerful ministry. So well, yeah, thank you for blessing us. I, I'm super appreciative. And I just think it's an incredible thing. Only God can take what is despised and, and be glorified through it. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's right. Let's pray together. Lord, we, um, we sit in this space right now and we lift up this offering. Uh, we lift up the hours we may need to, to serve or the ways we need to connect with this ministry. And we ask, Lord, that you would bless it. We also ask, Lord, that we would continue to, to uh, respond to the stirring in each of our own hearts of how, how you're wrestling with us, of how you're seeking us, of how you're using the things in our lives that we thought were these ugly limps to actually be these transformative, transitional, beautiful opportunities. So Lord, I pray that not a person in here leaves feeling worthless, that not a person in here leaves feeling like, like you didn't give up your life to have relationship with them. I pray God, incredible restoration over each uh, life in this room, just a, a restoring of purpose and vision and hope and joy. I thank you, Father. I thank you for this, this beautiful space that you meet us all in. I pray that you would bless us, God, and we bless your name and the way that you move. We thank you for this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Can we just give Rhonda one more hand?